Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. If you would take your Bible or your Bible app and turn with me to Ephesians 1, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to finish up the second half of Ephesians 1 in a few minutes. And while you're returning there, I want to remind you of our mission here at Bible Center. It is to glorify God by producing more maturing followers of Jesus. And we believe if we do that over a long period of time, continually producing more maturing followers of Jesus, that eventually we'll be able to saturate the city with the gospel. So that's our vision. Our vision is to fulfill our mission over a long period of time and saturate our city with the gospel. But we have a strategy for how we go about doing that. And we want everybody to have a place to connect. And so from time to time, I'll mention ways for you to worship, for you to belong, for you to serve. That's our strategy as a church family. One way I want to highlight today to worship is your personal worship, your time with Jesus in God's word and in prayer. You can do that through a booklet that we've provided. We have a number of them left out in the lobby. Uh, You can also download it from the app or uh, go online and download it as a PDF. It's all there. It looks great on any device, but this is a way for you to have personal quiet time with the Lord, studying verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. And so that'll help you in your personal worship. And then as far as belonging is concerned, this month we're really highlighting, just like in September, we're highlighting our groups. If you're not yet a part of a group, if you don't yet have a group of spiritual friends that you gather with, it doesn't have to be an official Bible Center group, but if you're looking for a group of spiritual people to do life with, to pray with, and to meet with on a regular basis, feel free to check out our groups wall. There's a number of groups that still have room for you, and the days and the times and the locations are all there on the wall, so you can pick up a pamphlet and see what group works best for you. And then lastly, I wanna highlight a service opportunity. It gives you an opportunity to serve and give back to others in the way that they've given to you. And the way we want to highlight that this morning is through our children's ministry or family ministry volunteer table. There's really two ways to go about doing this. You know, whenever you're asking for people to serve in children's ministry or family ministry, you can inspire them with the impact that someone has made on your life, maybe as a child. I remember as a kid, I had Sunday school teachers that specifically uh, helped me grow in my faith and come to know Jesus. Uh, But sometimes whenever you're sharing a need, it's just good to share the raw facts about this is what we need so that we as a church family can step up together to meet that need. And so I wanna do that this morning before we jump in and let you know that our children's ministry and family ministry have asked, uh, they say that it takes about 40 people to run over the course of a month our elementary, what we call base camp program. It takes about 40 people in rotation. And right now we have about 20 people doing the job. And so we're looking for 20 people who will step up and say, hey, I'll go in the rotation. You can put me on the schedule. They'll work with you when you're available. But if you want to invest in the lives of elementary children, we're looking for 20 more of those. And then our early childhood director emailed me this week and let me know, that we actually have 60 people that it takes to run over the course of a month, our early childhood program, that's our nursery, those are our toddlers, and currently we're running on about 30 right now. And so we need about 50 folks in all who will step up and say, you know what, I can go on the schedule, I can serve, I can invest 
If you'll do that today, you can do that on the app or you can stop by and see the family ministry table. Theirs is the one with the capes, the big red capes. And so if you personally wanna wear a cape, just ask them and I'm sure they will hook you up if you'll volunteer. They'll probably hook you up with anything if you will volunteer. Let's stand together as I read Ephesians chapter one, starting in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who feels, fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. What is it that I want you to know today? What's the main point? of this message. I think you could boil it all down or summarize it to this. A praying church is a powerful church. A praying church is a powerful church. If I were to ask you for your top prayer requests for Bible Center, if you were gonna pray anything for our church, if you've been here for any length of time, for what would you pray? What are the top four things you would pray for? What about your family? What about your friends? What about yourself? What things are you praying for yourself about? Well, this morning we're gonna see that God has a list. He actually has a list of the top four things he wants us to be praying for ourselves as a church. And I think these are the top four things we can be praying for our children about, our grandchildren, our friends, our family, and for ourselves. Now, just true confession, whenever I go to the study to begin preparing for a message, I first want it to pass through my heart. So I don't wanna share anything with you that God first hasn't taught me or convicted me about. And I looked at my prayer list. I've had the same prayer list for years. Of course, you add to it, but it's the same categories. And I'll admit this week, I've had to adjust some of the categories on my prayer list after preparing this sermon. And so I'm praying that it'll have the same effect on you and that you might have to adjust your prayer list so that we can pray more in line with the heart of God. Let's go ahead and dive in, verse 15. In verse 15, Paul says, for this reason, if you underline in your Bible, you might underline those three words. It's it draw an arrow back. It's actually pointing to the previous 14 verses. Ever since, he says, I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, 
remembering you in my prayers. The Apostle Paul helped found the church at Ephesus. He lived there for almost three years. And then he left for other missionary endeavors. He's been gone for three or four years, and he's either in a Roman prison or he's in house arrest when he writes this. And he's writing back to a church that he remembers fondly, a church that he loves. But you see, in the last three or four years, he's received a number of reports in Rome about the progress of this church. And he hears that this church is for the gospel and for the city of Ephesus. And so he thanks the Lord for what he's hearing taking place in the church. But the rest of the chapter, he tells us about his prayer for the church. I like to think of the end of verse 16 where he says, remembering you in my prayers. Just imagine with me, this is the way I think. Just imagine that Paul double clicks on the word prayers and a drop-down menu falls. The drop-down menu is verses 17 through 23. And so for the next few verses, he's gonna describe what he means by prayer. A praying church is a powerful church. Paul, what do you want us to be praying for? Holy Spirit, what do you want us to be praying for at Bible Center? Number one, pray that we will know God more. Pray that we will know God more more. Verse 17, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Pray that we will know as a church and as individuals, God more. Now, in the Bible, specifically the New Testament, there's two words for know, or there's several, but there's two main words. One word refers to what we know with our head, and the other word is what we know through experience. Sometimes we talk about that as heart knowledge. We've experienced it, we feel it, we embrace it. And so, for instance, I know a lot of facts, like many of you, about the city of Charleston. We know that Charleston is the capital city of West Virginia, Right? We, we know that fact. I know that a tiny piece of hard plastic at the end of your shoelace is called an aglet. If you didn't know that, I learned that from watching Phineas and Ferb with my daughters when they were little. Right? It's called an aglet. That's head knowledge. Right? There's lots of useless trivia up here. But the word for know here in this verse is not that. It's not just head knowledge, but it's experiential knowledge. You might know that, that a Krispy Kreme donut is made up of sugar and baby angel nectar. You may know that with your head. But when you put it in your mouth and it explodes, that's the knowledge we're talking about here. Over 16 years ago, I knew that my wife was going to give birth to our first daughter. Over 13 years ago, I knew she was going to give birth to our second daughter. I knew that, but I really didn't know that until I held those beautiful baby girls in my arms. That's experiential knowledge, and that's what he's saying here. Paul says, I want you to know God. Not just know, I want you to know God. Paul is not just praying, we'll know our Bibles backwards and forwards. This is important. But the Pharisees knew their Bibles backwards and forwards. But the Pharisees missed Jesus. And Paul's biggest concern is that we will know him. So the question arises, how do we get to know God? Like, 
How do we do that? Thankfully, this text tells us how. He says, in, again, back in verse 17, he says that, that, you will, that the Father will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What does he mean by the spirit of wisdom and revelation? Do we go out in the woods and do we just pray for visions and dreams and somehow God will tell us how we can get to know him more? Well, that's not at all what this text is saying. And sometimes Paul writes in a poetic way that maybe in one chapter is hard to understand. And so if you read something he said about the, the same subject in another book or in another chapter, it all makes more sense. And so we're going to do that today. You're going to see a number of references, and there's no way we'll go into all of them. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2 describes what Paul means. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, he's going to tell us how wisdom and revelation go together. 1 Corinthians 2.1. And so it is with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. There's the first reference to words but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Verse 10, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of God, the world, but the Spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. This is what we speak, not in words, there's the second reference, taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. What is he talking about? This is a fancy Hebraic Jewish way for Paul to say the Spirit of God works through the Word of God. The Spirit of God works through the Word of God. Specifically, the Spirit helps us to believe, to understand, to love and apply God's Word as we read it so that it can speak to us right where we are with exactly what we need. Now, I'll show you a picture of how this recently worked in my devotions. Um, I've recently purchased a Bible. It's been about a year or so ago. I like the margins, and I like the single column. And so this is just a snapshot I took yesterday, and I sent it, or Friday, I sent it over to our graphic artist. This is an example of something several weeks ago. I was doing my devotions in Psalm 119. And so I take a pen out, and I underline certain things with certain colors. You might have your own system. But there on the right-hand side, I just, I just noticed as I was reading throughout Psalm 119, he continually talks about a path, and he continually talks about a way. And so I just started jotting down this, and I drew a little picture. You can tell I'm not an artist, but I drew a little picture of a path, and, and I wrote down some things about following God's path does certain things in our life. And so that's how God spoke to me that day from his word. Nothing that he spoke to me about was new or extra biblical. It was just from the Bible. We call that illumination. When we pray, the spirit of God speaks to our hearts. Here's my question. How long has it been 
since the Spirit of God used the Word of God to speak to your heart. How long has it been since you opened your Bible or you turned on your Bible and you sensed the, the presence of God in your life as he directed you and comforted you or convicted you or encouraged you or taught you something? How long has it been? You say, oh, Pastor Matt, I read my Bible. I listen to the Bible app. I'm in the Bible all the time, but it's just so dry. My heart is so dry. I want you to know I understand. Even pastors have dry seasons. And what God has shown me this week is that yes, we use the word of God, but Paul says over and over again, brothers and sisters, pray. Pray that as you're in the word of God, God will open your heart and this explosion of truth will happen in your life and that you will know God. Is it that way every time we read the Bible? No, but don't quit praying until you take your last breath, that God's word speaks to your heart. Number one, how can we pray for our church? Pray that we'll know God more. Number two, how do we pray for our church? Pray that we'll know our hope more. Notice with me down in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Now, starting in verse 18, really through verse 21, Paul's gonna mention three more things that he wants us to be praying for. But the interesting thing about these three things is, are that, is that we already have them. He says, you already have them, you just need to wake up to them. You need to be enlightened that they're actually already with you. Sometimes we forget these things are with us. Okay, Paul, what's with us? Well, according to verse 18, we have a hope that's already real. Our hope is already with us. So when we use the word hope in the English language, sometimes it can be a little bit confusing. Pretend, pretend that we were like farmers, okay? I know we have a few farmers in here, and we've needed some rain lately. Those of us who are just farming grass, it's totally okay if it doesn't rain. But for the rest of you who actually want your crops to grow, maybe you've been praying for rain, right? So you could say today, hey, I hope it rains. And I'd planned this illustration before I actually knew it was going to rain a few minutes ago. But you could say, I hope it rains. But you might not know it's gonna rain. But if you have one of those fancy, you know, like paid apps where you can actually see the radar and you can see the clouds, and if you knew that just over that mountain, there's a wall of water coming, and for sure you see it coming and you see it on the app and you know it's gonna be here any minute, that's a different kind of hoping. That is a hoping with assurance. You're saying that water is the hope for my garden. And that's what Paul's saying here. We have not just a figurative hope that we hope Jesus returns, but we have a, an, a rock solid hope that he says, I will come again and bring you into the new heavens and the new earth. That is our hope. Look with me in Revelation 21, verses one through five. Paul says, or excuse me, John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. John says, your hope is the new heaven and the new earth. Paul says, if you've forgotten it, pray for it. Pray that God makes it so real in your life that it affects the way you see your suffering, that it affects the way you raise your children, that it affects the way you spend your money, that it affects the way that you pray, that it affects the way that you read your Bible, that it affects the way you conduct your business. Paul said, be so assured of this hope. And if you're not assured of it, or if you know it here, but not here, Paul says, pray. Pray that God makes it real, that we will be so heavenly minded that we can actually do this world some good. Number two, pray for our hope. Number three, pray that we'll know our value more. Pray that we'll know our value more. It's also in verse 18. In verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened Again, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So we already looked at that one. What else do you want us to be enlightened to, Paul? What do you want us to know that we already have? He says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, sometimes we read verses like this and we just kind of skim over them, right? Like, this is just religious mumbo jumbo. Okay, his glorious inheritance and holy people. What's he talking about? That's the way I approached it as I started reading through this text last Sunday night. Like, okay, yeah, what, what are we going to say about this? And as I got to studying this week, I learned that this is like one of the most rich truths of the book of Ephesians. It's repeated over and over again, and it's not just religious words. You know, Paul needed a certain word count. Like, okay, you needed three more words, so he just threw in these words. No, this is really important, and it's, it's connected to the theme of Ephesians, this idea we see it in verse 18. Notice whose inheritance this is. This is not our inheritance. It's not ours, but the NIV translates it correctly. It's his glorious inheritance. You say, what inheritance does God have coming to him? God created everything. What is his inheritance? What does he, what does he need that he doesn't already have? Well, in context, the answer is you. You are God's inheritance. We'll see it in a second, but think of it kind of like this. Bill and Melinda Gates. If, let's pretend you're going Christmas shopping for Bill and Melinda Gates. All right, We all have people like that in our families or our lives where you're like, what do we possibly get them? They kind of have everything. Well, pretend they're on your Christmas list. All right, and You're going to shop for them. What do you give like, some of the most richest people in the world? What do you buy them? You're like, well, I guess I could buy them the Mona Lisa. Maybe they might be blessed by that. They don't already have the Mona Lisa. But outside of that, what do you get them? I was reading this week that if you were to ask Bill Gates, he has extra time. What do you want to do with your time? What kind of gift could we give you with your time? You know what he would tell you? This. He wants to spend time with his three kids. He just wants to spend time with his three kids. What do you get the person, what do you give the person who already has it all? The only thing that they want is to be with the people that they love. 
And what possibly could God want that he doesn't already have, but yet to be with the people that he loves? You are God's glorious inheritance if you've put your faith in Christ. There's only one thing in the Bible that God has ever had to purchase. And it's in Acts 20, 28. It said he purchased us, the church, with his own blood. You are what God wants. If you've put your faith in Christ, you are his inheritance. And if you haven't, I pray that you'll put your faith in Christ today because God wants you to be his. What do we pray for as a church? We pray that we'll know God more. We pray that we'll know our hope more. We'll pray we'll know our value more. But number four, we pray that we'll know our power more. Pray that we'll know our power more. Notice verse 19, end of 18, then into verse 19. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, his incomparably great power for us who believe. So he's saying, church, I'm praying that you'll know the power that you already have. Now, in the New Testament, there are two words, essentially two primary words used for power. One refers to ability, and the other one refers to authority, ability and authority. And so whenever, for instance, Jesus said, all authority, all power is given unto me in Matthew 28, that's the idea of authority. Jesus has authority over all the kingdoms of the world, which is why we can go to all the kingdoms of the world with the gospel, even if that country is closed, because we go with the authority of the king. He has all authority. So there's authority, and then there's ability. Yesterday at the Mountaineer game, some of you were there. Uh, we had a great time, even though we lost. Uh, still a fairly good game. And, and while I was there, I saw authority and ability combined in one person. It was a state trooper, and I'll tell you about it. Where we were sitting, about three or four rows up off to the left, there was a Texas fan, which is totally cool, right? You can come here and root for Texas, you can wear your horns and all that. It's totally fine. You know, no judgment, at least not verbally. Um, anyway, so, so he was, but this guy has like halfway through the game, he kind of lost all of his inhibitions and he was standing up and he was like challenging the Mountaineer fans, right? So we're already losing at halftime and now he's like challenging the Mountaineer fans to a fight, which is not smart, right? It just isn't, isn't a smart idea. A few of them were going to take him up on his challenge, um, but I told Pastor John, don't do that. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> totally joking. Uh, so, so anyway, I saw this state trooper comes down and he stands like probably 15 feet away. Now this guy's jacked, like he is jacked up and he stands and he goes, you sit down. I'm like watching this, you know, like watching it like a movie. Like, man, this is, this is, what's he going to do it? What if he doesn't do it? What's he going to do? And, and he told him, he said, either you sit down or you're out of here. And so, you know, when he does the, you're out of here, you see all the muscles. And finally, the guy just sits down. He has enough sense to him, he sits down. Well, in that state trooper, you saw both examples of power. You saw both ability and authority. Now, this is in your notes. This is free. This is extra. But if, you're taking, if you want to write this down, verse 19 is all about the ability of Jesus. And verses 20 through 23 are all about the authority of Jesus. Notice, he says, you have this at your disposal if you're a follower of Christ, 
Thankfully, in your notes, what power do we have? Well, we have the power of Easter in us. We have the power of Easter in us. Verse 19, the latter half, says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And God's word says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives within you if you've put your faith in him. Romans 8.11 says the same thing. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. We have the power of Easter in us. We also have the power of the ascension in us. The power of the ascension in us. At the end of verse 19, he he uses big poetic words to describe what we call the ascension. I'll explain it. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. We already saw that. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all teach us about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And a couple of them talk about the few days after Jesus rose from the grave. But if you want to read about what happened fully, you read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 said that Jesus actually lived and walked and talked and did miracles on the earth for 40 days after he rose from the grave. And then after 40 days, he ascended back into heaven. He he stepped from this world into that spiritual world, whatever that is and wherever that is, that place we call heaven. We call that the ascension. Jesus says in this passage that that power that had to be phenomenal, To see Jesus ascend into heaven is the same power that is in every one of you if you are a follower of Christ. It's not mythical. You don't have to ask him for it. You already have it. He says, just pray that your eyes will be enlightened to it. And then he says, we also have the power of Pentecost in us. The power of Pentecost in us. In verse 22, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way within about 10 days. And by the way, if you're new to church, I'm using these religious holidays and these these celebrations. We'd love to explain them to you over time. But but we know uh, from the Bible that in the Old Testament, there was this holiday called Pentecost. Do you know that Jesus chose that day, which was about 10 days after he ascended into heaven, to send the Holy Spirit and to start the church? You can read all about it in Acts chapter 2, but suffice it to say, it was a very powerful event. It was powerful. It was almost unexplainable. And so what Paul is saying in like a few verses, what seems to us like this hymn or this poem, in in a few verses he says, at the resurrection, at the ascension, 
at Pentecost, at the founding of the church, there was all kinds of power. You have it if you're a follower of Christ. Finally, we have the power of Jesus in us. The power of Jesus in us. If you were to take all these verses and sum them up, you could do so in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How do we as a church become a powerful church? We want to influence, saturate this city with the gospel. How are we going to do it? We're not going to do it just by singing another song. We're not going to do it just by hearing another sermon. We're not going to do it by starting another program. We're not going to do it by throwing up another TV commercial. We might do all of those things, and I'm sure we will do all of those things, but none of those things, Paul says, is the key to impacting the city of Ephesus for Jesus or the city of Charleston for Jesus. How in the world do we do that? He tells us in this text. He says, church, pray that you, we, will know God more. Pray that we'll know our hope more. Pray that we'll know our value more. And pray that we'll know our power more. And when we become a praying church, then we can influence our city with the gospel. How can you do that practically this week? Let me encourage you. Those of you who already have groups, and I've gone to the groups wall this week, and I've seen all the different groups that we have. Those of you, some of you have groups even starting up tonight. Uh, If you've got a group I would ask you to pray these four things sometime tonight or this week in your group, whenever it meets, that you just take some time and pray these four things. It doesn't have to be all your time, but I would ask maybe before you eat or before you meet or before you leave, that you'd pray for these four things. I'm going to ask dads to pray these four things with their children. I'm going to ask moms to pray these four things this week with your kids for, for them, for you, and for our whole church. I'm going to ask you to pray this in the car, to pray it in the shower, if you pray in the shower, to pray these four things. You know, tonight we're going to do something that's a little bit countercultural to Bible Center, so I hope you'll forgive me, Um, but we don't have a slide for this, and we don't have like an announcement for this. It's not in like 10 colors in your bulletin, you know, like we, like I like, I'm, I'm the one who loves the bulletin the most, but we're going to do something that's not scheduled. At five o'clock tonight, I'm going to be here. I'm just going to be here. I don't live far away. I'm going to be here at five o'clock. And from five to a little before six, we won't go more than an hour. Uh, We're going to pray. And whoever's here, if there's two of us, three of us, 30 of us, we're going to pray and just sit here in these seats. You will not have to be forced to pray out loud if you come tonight. But I'm going to lead us at five o'clock through these four things. Now, there's a couple of you that I'm going to ask not to come. Please don't come if this is you. Don't show up tonight if your group already meets tonight. Don't show up. Pray these things in your group, right? If your group meets tonight, don't show up. The second person I'm going to ask not to come tonight is if you've been out almost every night this week and you need time with your family or you need time to rest and prepare, please don't come tonight. You don't need another religious thing to get in your way in relationship with Jesus. So please don't come. 
But for those of you this afternoon, the Spirit would prompt and say, you know, won't you come? I'm going to be right here, and we're going to pray these four things. I'll, I'll lead us through the first one, and, and for those who want to pray out loud, I'll give an opportunity a few people to pray out loud, and we'll have some quiet time of prayer, and we may sing a hymn or two with that. I'm just making this up as I go, as you can tell, right? We're just, we're just going to do this, but we're going to pray that we will know God more. We're going to pray that we'll know our hope more. We're going to pray that we know our value more, and we're going to pray this week as a church that will know our power more. Why are we going to do that? Because a praying church is a powerful church. And I want us to impact this city with the gospel. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.